But we are in our series entitled Rhythm. This is our summer series. We like to break things up and do different series. We just came out of going through First Peter for several, several uh, uh, months. This actual fall, we're getting ready to jump into a series. We're going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount for about 36 weeks. It's going to be great. We're really excited about that, breaking that down. But this is a little bit of a different series than what we uh, normally do. Uh, and it's entitled Rhythm. And what we've looked at is we've been going through the scriptures. We have seen that uh, God, in speaking to his people, especially within the Old Testament, we see him talking about the concept and the principle of shalom. And what that meant was is peace. Peace with God, peace with man, and also peace with ourselves. And Jesus talks about that, giving us peace. And it's an inner spiritual peace, but at the same time, we have separated spiritual peace from our, the peace of the frenetic pace of our everyday lives. And we've been out of rhythm. Last week we went through the um, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 as we talked about the Bible's concept of time. And we're looking at the concept of time in two different ways. First there is the, the word used in Greek is chronos. And chronos means cyclical time. The time that is completely repeating itself over and over again. Uh, and we see chronos within years, quarters, months, weeks, and uh, days. So we have this chronos time. Now, the other time is kairos. Kairos is the time that happens or is captured within that chronos time. Um, and it's, it's these moments that we must grab onto. And last week we learned that the, there was actually a Greek god called Kairos. He was the youngest son of Zeus. And he was uh, personified as a very young man who was completely bald except with a tuft on his hair. He had shoes and on, uh, wings on his feet, and he was always moving. And if he passed you by, um, you couldn't grab him. Zeus himself couldn't grab him and stop him, and he had to grab him by the tuft of that hair. And it was the understanding is, is that if he makes past you, then, then you can't grab that time again. And this is seizing the moments that we have in time. So in one essence, chronos is quantity time, well, as Kairos is quality time. And we see that we need to find our rhythm because what we've looked at and within our world is that we are out of balance because there is no such thing as balance. Because balance implies something that's static and stationary and I've got it all together. And life doesn't work that way. It's, it's fast-paced and it's got seasons and life stages. And the Bible talks about this time and time again. And we're trying to figure out how do we pursue Christ in the midst of the season of life we find ourselves and in the life stage that we find ourselves. It's going to look different when someone is at home with young, um, home with young children or someone who is um, completely involved in their, their, their business and they're single or someone who is retired or an empty nester. It's going to look differently for each one. But the point is, is how do we pursue Christ and find our rhythm? It's, it's just awkward to see someone not in rhythm. You ever seen that? How many of you in here don't have rhythm? Stick up your hand. Wow. Okay, I've seen you all clap. You should be a lot more hands up. Right? We have a lot of people in here that don't have rhythm. And we need to find our rhythm. And it's really hard to see something that's off rhythm. And the scripture offers this as we go in and we see the scripture talking about finding our rhythm with God. And making sure that we are joining him in his work. And how do we find our rhythm in different things? That's what we're going to be doing in the next, uh, till the end of the summer, talking about how to find our rhythm in our parenting. 
as we go to the scripture and we say, how do we be the parents that God wants us to be? Or our grandparenting, or in our work, because we are growing crazy. Because everyone is trying to do everything at one time, and we don't understand that there are rhythms and there are seasons and there are stages. It's just like the man that I remember talking to several years ago. He was really trying to encourage his wife to pursue the Lord. And she had very young children. She wasn't sleeping at night. She was having a very hard time. And he demanded that she get up at 530 to pursue God. And how much do you think that 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 pursuit was going for her? Not well. She was exhausted. She needed sleep because it's that life stage that she's in. And we need to release that because she was burdened with guilt all the time. I can't do it. I want to do it. I can't do it. And it's because she wasn't understanding her life stage and what God wants for her. So today, we're going to be talking about finding our rhythm in prayer and what God wants us to do and how God wants us to be pursuing him. And I'm reminded of the Nike campaign from the the, uh, 1980s, and it was just do it. I love that campaign because it, it captured everything. You know, you know what to do. We just need to do it, right? We just need to do it. We need to, to capture that moment. It's, I, I told you about my mentor several years ago who uh, was a professor at Moody Bible Institute in the 1970s, and he was to preach in chapel, and he was to be on evangelism. And he walks to the the platform in front of uh, 1,500 students. The auditorium is filled. And he always had a toothpick in his mouth. He had a big beard. And he walks up, and this is his evangelism message. Go do it. And he literally stopped and just walked off the platform. And the students sat there stunned. This was before Nike. And they just sat there like, is it over? He just went back in his office and sat down and started working. He said, it's, it, we know what to do. We just need to do it. And Paul, in our passage for today, he's writing to the church at Colossae, who was going through a great deal of spiritual warfare, and, and he had a great concern for them. He's writing from prison to them, and he's telling them, he's encouraging them to pray. Now, Paul isn't always talking about rhythm. They didn't live in the world that we live in that was so frantic as ours is today, we have gadgets to save time, and then we, we still don't have enough time, right? It's amazing to me how busy we are, and all these things that are to help us become less busy make us even more busy, because we have this illusion that we can do everything, and God's Word says, no, I want you to stop and come away with me, and I want you to pray, and we know where to pray, we just don't do it. We say, oh, we're too busy. And that's why I like the, the, the book that came out a few years ago that was called Too Busy Not to Pray. We need to stop and pray and, and get our, ba- or not our balance, but find our rhythm. So I want us to really jump into our passage for today. We are in Colossians chapter 4, and I want to read this where Paul says to them, Continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, if we're to continue steadfastly in prayer, we need to understand that what that means. And it means seeking God's face. Seeking God's face. If we're to continue steadfastly in prayer, we have to understand, what is prayer? What is it? It's having a conversation with God. It's communicating and communing with Almighty God. And God commands us to do so because when we do, we experience delight in Him. 
As the book of Psalms, or Psalm 27, verse 8 says, You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Now, the Bible only says, it doesn't say us exactly what words to use, but it says continue steadfastly, which literally is proskartete. And it's, it's a compound word, pros, meaning advantageous, uh, advantageous for or denotes local proximity toward, moving toward something. And the word, the other part of that compound word is katerio, which means to be steadfast and conveys the idea of perseverance, endurance, and being patient. It's the idea of devoting oneself, giving oneself over to it again, again, and again. It's the idea of constant practice. That's the letter A in your notes under number one. It's constant practice. That's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, is to pray without ceasing. It's not saying every moment of every day that I'm praying, but it's the understanding of having an inner attitude of the heart to be in communion with God. So we can see that we're to be doing this and making it a constant practice in our lives. Spurgeon, the great 19th century prince of preachers, wasn't known for spending great amounts of time in prayer. Not like a Martin Luther, three or four hours. But they, they said of him, he was never out of the presence of God for more than 15 minutes. So it's not that he was on his knees all the time in his study, but that he was constantly uh, cultivating an attitude and a heart of prayer. And when he would ever be faced with a difficult situation, he would say, I must speak to Father about this. It was always in the very presence of God. Prayer was important for him, integral to who he was, but for most of us, prayer is just a spare tire, something that we need in an emergency, but not any other time. We have to realize that we're a lot like dolphins who are, who are living in the world, but they have to come up and breathe and then go back down into the world. For us, we have to, we're, we're continuing on in our everyday hectic world, but we have to come up and commune with God and lift our voices to the Almighty and our hearts to Him and then go back down in communion with Him. But where do we go when we pray? How do we do this? I mean, it, it, it seems simple, but it's not. How do we pray? I mean, it should be a, cons a constant practice, but there's more. I mean, are we to go any certain place? I mean, we can pray anywhere. That's the cool thing about prayer is it's not limited by geography or it's not limited by law. It can topple governments, and it's like a time bomb that it can go off in the future. It's the most amazing thing about prayer. You can pray anywhere. Nothing can stop people from praying. It should always be a constant practice, but we are also fickle creatures, who have a lot of habits and certain routines. And I tell people, if you're going to develop a constant, your, your prayer life and, and make it a constant practice, then you need to follow the words of Jesus in Matthew 6.6. 6. When Jesus said this, this is on his Sermon on the Mount, when he says, but when you go, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. Now, he's not just talking about a place there. He's talking about and he's contrasting it with making sure that they're not doing it for show, but they're doing it with God. But I still think there's a smaller principle at play, is that you're to go and be alone, commune with God, find a consecrated place. Consecrated place. That's that letter B. Find a consecrated place before the Lord. It needs to be a place as much as you can find it away from distractions. For Daniel, he prayed three times a day in the upper level of his home, with the windows open facing Jerusalem. The apostles in the book of Acts would find places that were set apart just for prayer, Acts 16, 14. For me, I like to go into my basement, put a blanket over my head, 
just lay there with a fan by me, and my kids come by, and they have to walk over me to get the toys. And, but it's, I'm trying to cultivate an attitude and heart of prayer and find a constant, consecrated place. Now, Paul says that we're to make sure that we are being watchful in it with thanksgiving. The word watchful means alert, awake, and focused. And it sounds simple, but how many of us struggle with being alert and focused in prayer? We have a hard time. A lot of different things come in and distract us, and sometimes we get tired and we fall asleep in the middle of prayer, and all of these different things happen to us. But the Bible says that we're to be alert. Now, I find that certain things affect whether or not um, I'm alert. If it's hot in a room, how alert are you? Not very alert. I had a, actually had a teacher when I was in high school, my uh, history class, there was a group of us that were really rambunctious. And our, we were always causing our professor trouble. And we had lunch, and, I mean, and we'd have this class. Do you know what he did? He intentionally turned the heat up in the class. Because we had just eaten a meal and we're all groggy. So he wouldn't have to deal with us. <laughs> That's why. Because the environment affects us. And even how we sit affects us. Our posture affects us. And, and I think that's another thing that we need to understand. If we're to continue steadfastly in prayer, these are real practical things that we're to be changing postures. How do you pray? Where do you pray? When do you pray? I mean, do you pray uh, just sitting there with your, with your hands clasped tight? You know, in Scripture, you don't really see that. Their hands folded like this. You don't see this. Matter of fact, you see Jesus with his hands wide open and his head lifted up to heaven. You do see uh, different individuals, like Solomon. He was bowing down in prayer at the dedication of the Jewish temple. You see others on their knees. You see other people completely prostrate on the ground, laying before God. And I think we need to change that up because we, we can get into habits and we lose focus, changing our posture. But looking for that place, changing and lifting holy hands, as Paul says in 1 Timothy, to the Lord. We need to be making sure that we are finding and even changing our postures as we are seeking the Lord. See, Moses prayed with his hands outstretched. Abraham fell on his face before the Lord. But we need to be finding a place, bowing the knee. Because even when we bow the knee, we're acknowledging that he is Lord and we are not. It's a sign of appeal, of personal humility. I remember as an elder team, we were faced with a serious situation a, a, a few, um, a couple years ago. And I remember there was the, the word, when the time gets serious, you get on your knees. Right? When we get really serious about God is when we, we abandon all of anyone, what anyone thinks about us and we just get on our face before God. So we need to make sure that we are changing postures and we are seeking God's face. Now, there's another thing that is important for us when we pray, and that is believing in faith. We can't pray unless we have faith. As Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done to him, for him. Now, there has been more misunderstanding of this verse because people think if I can conjure up enough faith, it'll happen. As if I could pull myself up by my spiritual bootstraps and make myself believe so hard enough, it'll occur. And that's not what the scripture's talking about. Praying in faith is not that. That's not what it refers to. It refers to three different things. First of all, it means approaching prayer or God the Father through the right person. 
Approaching through the right person. Because we, we have to understand that our faith is not just in this, this, um, uh, this androgynous God, but it's God the Father that we approach through God the Son. When we pray, Jesus said, to who do you pray to? Father. We go to the Father, but we go through the Son. So we must make sure that we are approaching through the right person. As Jesus said, you're to ask everything in his name. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. John chapter 16, verse 23 through 24. He says, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. You know, there's a story about a young man who sat on a park bench bawling. A little boy saw him and said, sir, what's wrong? What's wrong? The man told him the story about his brother who was in prison. His brother was on death row and would be executed in the next few days. The man desperately wanted to see Abraham Lincoln, the president of the United States, and ask for a pardon. But of course, regular people can't just walk into the the president's office. His situation was hopeless. After hearing the man's story, the little boy said, Sir, would you come with me? He took the man by the hand, walked him into the presidential office through the guards, past the secretary, and nobody mumbled a word the man couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe that he had gotten to see the president. If he had tried, uh, tried, there's no way he would have got through if he had tried. And this little boy was walking straight past everyone and directly into the president's office. President Lincoln stood up as the young man entered with the boy. He looked at the boy and said, how can I help you, Tad? It was his son. See, he had access into Lincoln's office because he was his son. So you can't walk into the presence of a holy God unless you are escorted by the Son of God and praying in and through Jesus' name. Secondly, praying in faith means this. It means aligning ourselves with God's purpose. 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 This is one of the things that we don't think about very often when we pray. John speaks to this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 through 15. He says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Now what that means is, is when we ask something according to his will, so often we don't ask in accordance with God's will because we ask to spend it on our own sinful desires. That's why I have, I have people approach me a lot, and they say to me, especially younger single people, and they say, um, I was praying about dating this unbeliever, and, and God said yes. And I look at them and I say, no, he did not. They say, well, how do you know that? Because 90% of the will of God has been revealed in the Word of God. And the Word of God says that you're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So you're lying to yourself. So we look at the, what the, the purpose of God is revealed in the, the will and the word of God. The will of God is revealed in the word of God. And we must make sure that we're reading the word of God and then letting the word of God read us. And then when we do, our perspective is changed. See, it's not conjuring up faith. It's putting ourselves in line with the will of God and asking according to his will. And then he does respond. Now, he might say yes and he might say no. We have to remember that. Or he might say, wait. Some I've heard over the years have compared prayer to a stoplight. 
There's green, yes. There's yellow, wait. And then there's just no. So we need to make sure that we are aligning ourselves with God's purpose, and then we are adopting God's perspective. See, when we go to prayer, we are changed as we go into the very presence of God. That's why Paul is saying, continue steadfastly in prayer, doing it with thanksgiving, rejoicing, because when we go into the presence of God, our perspective is changed, and we start seeing the very blessings of God. See, this is why Oswald Chambers, and I love Oswald Chambers and what he said in my utmost for his highest, he said this, to say that prayer changes things is not as close to the truth as saying prayer changes me and then I change things. Both are true, by the way. Prayer does change things, but prayer often changes us. God has established things so that prayer, on the basis of redemption, changes the way a person looks at things. Prayer is not a matter of changing things externally, but one of working miracles in a person's inner nature. Now, I would, just, I would agree with him in that it changes us, but I would also say I've seen prayer change others. So both are true. That's why Paul says continue steadfastly in prayer. Making sure that you're doing it with thanksgiving. So we need to make sure that we are aligning ourselves with God's purpose and adopting God's attitude. Let's go back to our text, verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I make it clear which is how I ought to speak. See, Paul here was understanding that we need to be using prayer to fight. To fight. Using prayer to fight. John Piper wrote this, and I love this. He says, prayer is the walkie-talkie on the battlefield of the world. It calls on God for courage. It calls in for troop deployment and target location. It calls in for protection and air cover. It calls in for firepower to blast open a way for the word. It calls in for the miracle of healing for the wounded soldiers. It calls in supplies for the forces. And it calls in the needed reinforcements. This is the place of prayer on the battlefield of the world. It is a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom to increase the comforts of the saints. And one of the reasons it malfunctions in the hands of so many Christian soldiers is that they have gone AWOL. Now, we have to understand that we are in a battle. And Scripture tells us that we are fighting heavenly powers. Heavenly powers. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now what he means by that, I don't mean that angels are fighting. What it means is, is that I mean the spiritual powers of darkness are at work. And there is a battle, I guess, between the angels and the, and the demons. That demons are seeking to destroy your life. I mean, demons have many different purposes. They are agents of evil. We have to remember that they are terrifying creatures that know the Bible. Did you know that? They believe that God is one and shudder, as James chapter 2, verse 19 says. They promote false worship. That's why we get different cults that look a lot like Jesus. That's where you get Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness and Christian science and things like that. They look like Christianity, but it's not. See, it's close where people go, they're moral, they sound good, but see, that's the way that Satan likes it because it's not through Christ. It's a different Christ. The Mormon Christ is not the biblical Christ. We have to understand that. They promote 
false worship. They, can't, they, they make counterfeit signs and wonders. They perpetrate violence. They possess people and humiliate people and eventually will destroy them. They promote bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, and every kind of evil practice. They work in institutions and take captive men and women through worldly philosophies. And one of their most subtle devices is when they masquerade as false prophets and servants of righteousness. What was Satan's occupation before he fell? He was an angel, so he knows how to make it look good. He knows how to make the talk. Because remember, and we've talked about this several times, when you have truth and you mix it with a lie, what do you get? A bigger lie. A bigger lie. So we have to understand that we are in a battle with powerful spirits. And we are in a battle because men have hard hearts. Hard hearts. Paul prayed that he would be able to make it clear. The translation means make it visible, manifest, and plain to see for those who are far off. Why? Because man in his natural state cannot accept the things of God unless the Spirit of God awakens man into his condition. This is why we have so many people that accept Jesus, but their lives are never changed. Because they haven't been regenerated by the Spirit of God, and they've been lured into believing that they are children of God because they prayed a prayer. It is not praying a prayer. It is having the Spirit of God transform you and change you into a child of God. And then God places His Spirit within you, working His Son and transforming you into the image of His Son. And we're transformed by the renewing of our mind as we take in the the Word of God, as we are doing the things of God, we are becoming more like the Son of God. But I'm so tired of of, of people saying, well, he accepted Jesus and his life's no different because he's not been changed by the Spirit of God. See, the Scripture is very clear that man in his natural state cannot accept the things of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And then 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, because an unbelieving man can't just respond in his natural flesh. He is at enmity with God. Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of Christ, of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the very image of God. See, that's why Paul says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account for which he is in prison. He's in prison because natural man couldn't accept what he had to say and hate it, railed against it, and put him into prison because of it. He was in prison because he declared that Jesus is the Christ. Now let that sink in for a minute. He is in prison because he proclaimed Christ. Do you know that's what's happening now? Tony Miano, an American evangelist, was arrested this past July 1st because he was preaching. And it wasn't in Saudi Arabia. It wasn't in Afghanistan or Pakistan. It was in London at Wimbledon. He was arrested because he preached from 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 2 and said that homosexuality, as well as a host of other things, were sin. But it was because he said homosexuality specifically was a sin. He was arrested because it was a violation of Public Order Act Section 5, which says that you can't use, quote, homophobic speech that could cause people anxiety, distress, alarm, or insult. Think about that. 
You call something a sin, and you can be arrested for it. And it's not just applying to that. There's other things. I mean, that's why when Paul was reasoning before Herod, and he said he started preaching about the kingdom of God and righteousness and self-control, Herod got alarmed. Why? Because he'd been having an affair with his sister-in-law. And he knew that he would be judged accordingly. And he said, I don't want to hear you anymore, Paul. I can't take it. Because this world can't take those things. We need to make sure that we are praying because it's a spiritual battle. Men's hearts are hardened and only God, by His Spirit, through the people of God, responding and being obedient to God, will they come to know who Jesus is. And we can see through Paul in this passage as the Holy Spirit is inspired is that we can see that our prayers are helping trail, helping trailblaze away for the word. Helping trailblaze away for the word. He is the one. God is the one who grants repentance that leads to life. Acts 11.18. He is the one who gives us the faith to believe. 1 Corinthians 4.7. He's the one who gives us the gift of salvation. Ephesians 2.8-9. through 9. And he's the one who grows us in grace. 1 Corinthians 3.5-6. Salvation is from God beginning and to end, but he still invites us to be a part of the process. And man still has the responsibility to respond. We can't pretend to understand the ways of God, but we do trust in him, walking in faith, knowing that he is going to honor our efforts for him because his word, according to Isaiah 55, 11, will not return void. And there will be a harvest if we do not give up. So how are we to do it? How are we to find our rhythm in doing this? So let me give you some strategies. These aren't in your notes, but you can write these down. Here's a chrono strategy, and I've tried to give you a very practical message. This series is designed to be very practical. So here's a chrono strategy. First of all, pace yourself. Pace yourself. There are many prayer requests, and I don't know if, if, if you're like me, but sometimes you can be overwhelmed going through your prayer list to the point where you don't want to do it anymore. Pace yourself. Vary it up a little bit. Pray for missionaries one day. Pray for... Um, some people, I, I know they do the five-fingered approach. They say, give God the thumbs up. Pra- practice thankfulness. Then point out all the good things that he has done for you. And then your middle finger is your confession finger. <laughs> so you're confessing your sin and then praying for those who are closest to you, your, your ring finger. And then put your, your personal request last. last. But pace yourself. Pray for missionaries on Tuesdays or pray for your coworkers on Wednesdays or, or vary it up, but be in prayer. And you may not be able to find that consecrated place in your home. Some people I know have a hard time praying in their home because their families, everything's just going crazy. So do it on the, on the train, on the way to work. Do it in the car. Uh, I know some people are praying throughout the day, like Nehemiah prayed right before he went into the king's presence. Those are those impromptu prayers. But vary it up. Make sure that we are, are pacing ourselves and realizing that we're not going to be able to get all of our requests in all the time. Unless you have a considerable amount of time in your life stage, and then you should be. Secondly, build rituals. Build rituals. Set a time and stick to it. It takes 60 days for something to become a habit. However, if you have young kids in the family, give yourself a little slack. You may not be able to build rituals at this point the way that you want to, but with us, we start uh, at our family. We're not perfect, excuse me, at this. But when we have breakfast together, which we always we don't always, but when we do, I try to just sit down and, and just get our kids in the habit of prayer. So I have a little story, and then we go around the table and we pray. And, and I mean, it, I, again, we're not perfect at this. We miss more than we hit. 
but we're trying to build rituals. If you are with young kids, that's one thing. Teenagers, it's not too late. Even if you're a grandparent, you can still do this. Some of the greatest legacy that has been left to me have been through my grandparents because they were praying for me and building into me. If you're single, you have a time now before you get married, if God has that in your future, to be devoting yourself and consecrating yourself for greater work for the kingdom of God and praying in a greater way. If you're an empty nester, this is a great time to reconnect and be in prayer together. I knew of a couple that, uh, a Romanian couple that I stayed with for a period of time. Their kids had just left the house, and they made sure then that they started trying to have a Bible study together. If you and your husband or, or spouse are both believers, if not, use that time to pray for your unbelieving spouse. So make sure that you are building rituals in your life, and you're being systematic about it. And lastly, oscillate work and rest. Work and rest. And what that means is, is there's going to be times where you realize that it's okay to sleep when you need rest. Just like that woman I was mentioning at the beginning of the message. That was her time to realize she needed to rest at that time. But there are other times where we need to be completely immersed in prayer. And finding those moments throughout the day, just like Susanna Wesley who had the 20 children. And there was no getting away. So she took her apron, put it over her head, and the kids knew, don't mess with her at that time because she's seeking God. Find it. Oscillate between work and rest. And here's some of those Kairos strategies. First of all, release expectations. Release expectations. You're not going to be able to do it all at this stage. So don't continually always be guilting yourself. Seize the opportunities you do have. If you're a high school student or college student, use that opportunity throughout the day to be praying for your classmates or in between classes. And if you are a retired person and you have more time on your hands, this is the opportunity you have to be laying the foundation and helping the church in a greater way. And what I mean by that is, is that I find that a lot of older people have amazing things to offer when they're in prayer. There was a woman who passed away in my very first year in pastoral ministry. Her name was Sophie Peterson. And that woman had spent, she'd been, um, she'd been a homemaker, and then her kids had been out of the house, so for almost 50 years, she died in her 90s. She devoted herself for prayer at 4.30 in the morning. And then when she died, people said, I feel that she's dead. She prayed for so many people. That's a legacy. And if you're an older person, then you need to be using that time now to be passing it on. And that means you could be coming in. We have a prayer meeting that just, that's just starting at 8.45 in the morning or coming in at 6.30 on Thursdays or finding another time. I don't care when it is. There's no law against praying. Pray. Pray, asking and seeking God's face because God won't do anything without the people of God seeking his face. God always works in conjunction with his people praying. Do you want to see Revival in your life and in your church, in this church? Do you want to see grow? We're already growing, by the way. God's already at work. And I can point to the reason why is because I know that there are prayer meetings going on in Pomus. We can have all the methods. We can have all the newest gadgets. That doesn't change people's hearts. Only God does. And he doesn't do that apart from people praying. Seize the opportunities you do have. If you are a single, now is the time to be devoting yourself to prayer. Try to build that throughout the day. I, I remember, as I said before, my mentor told me a story that prayer was like a time bomb. You never know when they're going to go off. 
In Steve Farrar's book, Point Man, he tells the story of George McCluskey, and I've shared this story before, but when McCluskey married and started a family, he decided to invest one hour a day in prayer because he wanted his kids to follow Christ. After a time, he expanded his prayers to include his grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and every day between 11 a.m. and his lunch hour, he prayed for the next three generations. As the years went by, his two daughters committed their lives to Christ and married men who went into full-time ministry. The two couples produced four girls and one boy. Each of the girls married a minister, and the boy became a pastor. The first two children born to this generation were both boys. Upon graduation from high school, the two cousins chose the same college and became roommates. During their sophomore year, one boy decided to go into the ministry, the other didn't. He undoubtedly felt some of the pressure to continue the family legacy, but he chose to pursue his interest in psychology instead. He earned his doctorate and eventually wrote books for parents that became bestsellers. He started a radio program heard on more than a thousand stations each day. The man's name? James Dobson. Where do you point back his influence to? To the grandfather who prayed. Pray. Prayers are like time bombs. Seize the opportunities you do have. If you have kids, pray for them and pray with them. If you have grandkids, do the same. If you're a mentor or an uncle or aunt or an employer or employee, a teacher or a student, seize the opportunities to pray for the people around you now. Seize those and then anticipate what's next. Anticipate what's next. If you know that you can't pray a lot at this point in time, maybe you have young children, then realize that you need to be doing that in that next stage and prepare yourself for that. Anticipate what's next, what God has for you, and be in prayer for that. But make sure that we are cultivating an entire attitude of prayer. Even Paul, I mean, we have to understand and anticipate that this world is going to be against the message of Jesus Christ. But we need to make sure that we are making it clear, just as Paul says. Paul, and I love this, Paul doesn't ask to be removed from prison. Did you ever notice that in that passage? He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. He's looking for opportunities then, where he was, with those that around him. If you have to be at the hospital a lot, how about sharing with a doctor or a nurse? If you're at a school, share with your students or classmates. If you're at the gym, think about that one. Try to build a relationship with the opportunity to be in prayer for them and asking God to respond. Now, we're going to do something a little bit different today. I'm going to invite a few different people to come forward, and they're going to pray for us as a church, many different people from our midst, because we need to rediscover and start praying. Pray in your home. Pray with your kids. Pray with your grandkids. Pray with your spouse. Pray for your spouse. Pray at your workplace. Pray wherever you can that God might receive glory. But let's pray right now, and then we're going to ask different people in our church. Uh, we already have them set aside. We have four people that are going to be praying uh, for our church as a whole, that God might have his spirit be preeminent among us, and we might be a light in the midst of the dark place. But I'm going to pray, and then they're going to pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, so often we talk about prayer and we don't pray. Lord, help us to just do it. Help us to invest our life, to continue steadfastly in prayer, just as Paul encouraged the church at Colossae as they were battling all kinds of spiritual realities going on around them. Lord, help us to be a people of prayer as we can contemplate and seek your purpose and your presence 
and peace in our lives. Lord, we know that we are fragmented, but Lord, help us to order our lives in a different way according to the rhythm of your word, that we might put ourselves in line with the will of God so that we might be able to accurately, adequately, and powerfully do the will of God and work of God. So Lord, please use us. Help us to be people of prayer. Discipline us. Show us. Help us to put the pieces and places in life, in everyday life, that we might seek your face. So Lord, please use us now. In Jesus' name.